Welcome back, everybody, to the Deeper Than Sunday podcast. This podcast exists to be an extension of Grace Church San Diego's teaching on Sunday. And we started the vision vision series this week. Uh, one out of four weeks, we're going to be talking about the future of the church. So exciting. Who is with me today? You've got Nicole on your left, Jeff. Um, just... We sure do. Last week was uh, Calm Nicole or... Uh, Chill, Nicole. What are you today? <clears throat> today, I'm like just out of church, calm. Let's see how it goes. Holy, holy, Nicole. But Josh is here, so let's see how long that'll yeah, last. What, what Josh do we have today? Uh, my name's Josh. I'm sore throat because I just preached twice and uh, sound like sound like uh, the seven year old smoker. Yeah, <laughs> smoker. <laughs> Scott Stapp. Is that, is yeah. that who you're thinking? The of? lady in the St. Jude commercial with a hole in her throat. <laughs> oh, oh my goodness. This this has made a turn. Okay, we should probably roll the theme song before we go too far. All right, let's do it. Okay, we're back. Uh, during the break, we learned what singer Josh feels like now. <laughs> Would you like to share? Uh, Phoebe, like? Phoebe from Friends, when she has... <laughs> The, the cold and she sounds like she's got a little rasp in her voice that's she, she likes can it sing better. smelly cat she's better mm-hmm. awesome okay cool let's get into the passage this week we departed from acts we were in nehemiah um for what purpose josh why are we in nehemiah for week one of the vision series nehemiah is this classic leadership vision story that i thought we could overlay on what what we're trying to do this first week because in four weeks of a series, you, you you build things. And so starting with this story was a good template for us to say uh, what Nehemiah experiences we can learn from and we can uh, mimic in our day. Uh, Nicole, you literally just walked out of service. We're recording on Sunday today, so, which mm-hmm. is really cool. Um, thanks to Nicole's uh, scheduling conflicts. Not that she's the wow. only one that ever has one. We have some too. I know. I am. I am. I feel like I am the only one who ever has scheduling conflicts. No, no. Sometimes we go late and you can't go. But anyway, we're just out of church. So you should be able to recap Nehemiah. What, what's the story in Nehemiah? Well, first of all, I only like this year, I only recently learned how to say that name, Nehemiah. Oh, how would you say it? Did you just go? Well, okay. So I'm going to tell you how I found out how to say it. I volunteer youth group on Wednesday nights and I volunteer with middle school girls and she was like, yeah, I was reading the book of Nehemiah. I was like, what the heck? What book is that? And she's like, Nehemiah. And then she showed it to me and I was like, oh, that's how you say it. I've been saying Nehemiah. That's (laughs) When I first moved to San Diego. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Nehemia? Yeah. And it's also the name of one of the main characters in my favorite book series. So I'm like Nehemia. So do just... you still call that character Nehemia? Yeah, yeah. I do. That's Nehemia always. But yeah. it sounds like one of those diseases that <laughs> those commercials. Do you have Nehemia? <laughs> <laughs> Try this. So oh I'm God. still like trying to get used to saying Nehemiah. Well, it's like ne- Nehemiah. Uh, Hamashah. Did you have a trouble with Hamashah? Oh, yeah. I yeah. called Jamacha yeah, in yeah. my own head. Thank God I didn't I say that. I call it Haimaika. Yeah. <laughs> Jamacha. Jamacha. Yeah. Uh, anyway, okay. So uh, recap Nehemiah for us. Nehemiah. So Nehemiah. Like, I just have a hard time not saying the H. But, anyways, um, it was just about this. Like, okay, the book character is a woman, so I'm also getting used to him being a man in the Bible. So um, he saw, was feeling this anger in his heart about the current state of Jerusalem. And um, 
Josh kind of talked about how he took time to think about it and just kind of like sit in what he was feeling and be with the Lord to kind of like assess what needs to be done about it. And um, it was about the wall being broken in Jerusalem, which I don't know why it was, I'm assuming a war, but why was it broken? Yeah, the Babylonians destroyed it in the okay the takeover. And so he just wanted to rebuild it to create, like build Jerusalem up again in the glory of God because it is... God's promised land and where his people dwell. Awesome. Very good. Uh, You said it. uh, This is our first question um, that he got angry. Mm -hmm. So I guess my question is for Josh, what makes you angry? And what, you know, his daughters (laughs) in the sense of grace church and our vision and where we're going in the future, what fires you up to even have a vision in the first place? Oh man, what makes me angry? I'm an Enneagram eight, so I'm mad all the time. And nothing. <laughs> I think that's what Rachel is. That makes sense. I didn't know that. And I just made all the haters of the Enneagram mad. So now we've started. Isn't on. eight the one that has like the most childhood trauma too? Oh God, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I'm going to be processing that for the rest of the day. We we are operating as if Enneagram is not an occult evil thing, <laughs> no. right? Because even the even I'm an ENTP little, on the Myers Briggs. If that helps anybody, it's I'm a uh, one. On the Enneagram. It's just this angsty, like... I'm a one, too. One wing, too? Or do you no, know just one. You don't know? You don't have a wing? Mm-mm. Oh, okay. The perfectionist. Yeah. Perfectionist. Interesting. Uh, so, yeah, I can, I can appear mad all the time. And I think bad theology makes me mad. I think misrepresentation of Jesus and the church makes me mad. I, I think making religion, like, too Western, mm-hmm. making following Jesus really Western makes me mad. But when it comes to this particular, like when you're asking pointedly, um, I I got a vision for what church could be in college and am still learning about the beauty and the glory of the design of God's people in a place. And so it makes me mad when churches are not being all that God's wanting them to be and I'm going to keep that vague. Well, I'm not going to let you keep it vague. <laughs> How, and not to say that you came to this church and said, oh my gosh, they're a mess, right? Like all churches are fallen and part of the fall and not perfect and will always be imperfect. But what specifically are you wanting to push grace towards? What is the, what is the mission? What's the goal? Okay. This this is the church I'm on the team. I'm on the team of this church. So I, I have no critique of every church everywhere. I, I'm talking about, uh, let's just talk about our church. Um, instead of saying, here's all the things that were not right. I, I think there was a long season of visionlessness and we just read about it. Like where there's no vision, it's hard to flourish. It's hard to thrive. And so I can't, there's no blame in that. That just was the state of the union. And so uh, I showed up to a bunch of wonderful people that were seeking vision and direction. And so I was like, hey, what if we preach through the books of the Bible? Uh, what if we focused on making disciples in the context of house churches? What if we started to uh, think about being hospitable to the neighborhood and, and to the city? Uh, what and, and these weren't just my ideas. Other people had these same visions uh, as well. I, I think both Scott and Jesse had vocalized this stuff as well. So I was coming into a place where God was already moving. And I got to become a mouthpiece for some of that. And so I just would say any of the things I just said, if those aren't happening, that angers me. (laughs) And there are places where those things don't happen, where it doesn't feel like the Bible 
is is being taught in in this in some ways. It doesn't feel like disciples are the point. And so if you're not careful, you can give speeches that creates consumers instead of teach the word that makes disciples. And so, yeah, I've been coming to grace for 10 years and I can confirm we had, we had a vision. Um, the metaphor that was used was of uh, fire stations, mm-hmm. fire places where fire engines are. Um, <laughs> San Diego doesn't have one huge, gigantic, big fire station in the middle of the city. They have smaller ones all throughout the city. Um, and so we tried to start another church and that failed after a couple of years. Um, and then after that, we were just in a weird in-between place with no vision. So I can confirm. you. No need to feel a little odd at saying that, only having been here for two years, right? Did you know the fire station vision, Nicole? No, I was too young, probably. Uh, it was called Vision 2020. Wanted to start five churches by the year 2020. Oh, yeah. I do remember that. It's compelling. And they even had like the locations mapped out too, like the target locations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I... I'm a fan of that. Mm-hmm. I thought the metaphor was cool. The concept was cool. I, I was not a hater of said vision. Uh, I think if you investigated that vision, like we talked about today in the sermon, what you would have found was possibly, now I say this open-handedly, you guys can speak to this, possibly a, a two, like a leader-centric, Sunday-centric value system Instead of a neighborhood disciple-making centric value system. Yeah, we were going to telecast satellite campuses. So there would be one preacher. Now, we didn't do that in action because it just didn't work. But yeah, that fits in with what you're saying. It was like, this is the show and we're going to send it out to the rest of San Diego. I think also it was just not a tangible vision or goal. Because like in order, like they talk about this and like standard goal making, practicing and teaching and all that kind of stuff. It has to be something that's attainable and very tangible and something that is within reach. And then you just reach it and then you make the new goal. So I think starting at like five was just so much Mm. and especially. Oh yeah. Nicole, I came from a church that had the vision to plant 21 churches by 2021. Yeah. And it's. And we got to 15 and the Lord used that in mighty ways and accelerated people. And a lot of good can come in pointing out a desired destination, giving numbers, giving Mm -hmm. benchmarks, no doubt about it. But But falling short is so discouraging. It can be. Mm -hmm. If 15 out of 21, you're still like, hey, it's 15, you know, Mm -hmm. two down to one. I just think the the bigger question is like sustainability and culture. And quantity versus quality. Yeah. And there's a, I mean, there's stories on why Coca-Cola is what we drink versus this other drink that lost its potency when it expanded. There was another drink better than Coca-Cola, but when it chose to, um, I, I need a better word than expand, but like, it's hard to keep potency when you multiply mm-hmm. and Coca-Cola figured out how to keep the potency of the original ingredients, even though it expanded. And that's why we all drink it. I'm not a big Coke drinker, but it's a metaphor. Yeah. Like Starbucks. It's not that good of a coffee anymore, though. Can you scale and remain potent Mm -hmm. is the question. Yeah. Yeah, I guess we'll find out. (laughs) (laughs) I think Jesus did it in the disciples. I mean, there's like what happened in Antioch was more potent than Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. And yet that was a scale. Mm -hmm. Uh, So as it ties back to Nehemiah, I would just say, uh, well, let let me make this connection. When we talked about mission, I said we get our mission from Jesus. Disciple making is is the mission of every church. Mm-hmm. And then this morning, I tried to say we get our vision from God as well. And that vision is Revelation 21, new creation, new heavens, new earth, new people. 
And so we, we're branding this series as uh, a rebuilt people, a rebuilt place. And we get that from God. Uh, if that's where we're headed, let's start right now is the idea. Yeah. Uh, this is, a, I guess, could be a dangerous question. Just answer it honestly. Uh, in the story, <laughs> Jerusalem, the wall was in ruins, and that did not bring glory to God, as you mentioned. Is Grace Church in ruins, or does the metaphor stop there? Are we Jerusalem in the story, or is it a little more loose than that? Do you think the room we're sitting in brings God glory? <laughs> Guys, if you're not here, obviously you're not here, but if you need the visual, we're sitting, you know, like in kindergarten, you have the little short tables for the little mm -hmm. kids with the little short chairs. We're in big people chairs with the little kid tables. <laughs> we <laughs> talked about this with Alyssa that week. Um, I'm, I'm trying to say this lightheartedly. Jeff, I think anybody would agree that there is a rebuilding needed in our facility. Um and, and by rebuilding and using it for ministry, we could maximize the space for God's glory better. Uh, no uh, hatred on what used to happen here or what used, you know, the kids are next door dancing, <laughs> all that stuff. Uh, but I think we're all saying, okay, God, if, if we rebuilt this place, what could it look like? Yeah. And we'll talk more about this in week three, but we own the building. This is price per square foot, North Park, San Diego. It's got to be. Crazy. Top five in the world or in the United States. Like <laughs> it's nuts how valuable this space is. And it just sits dormant. And someone paid for it. Mm -hmm. And we got asked to steward it and we could grow our stewardship. Um, I joked and told the team, like when I first got here, there was probably eight toilets on campus that didn't work. And I'm like, if in the next two years, all these toilets don't work, I should get fired. Like what, <laughs> like what kind of leadership says like, Josh hey, just took out every toilet. Can't, no. <laughs> use, can't use half of these. Don't use that one. Everything had a sign on it. Flushed three uh, times. Yeah. And so listen, none of that's bad. It just, we were stuck and, and we're asking God to help us get unstuck. And that's fun. Can't you feel the fun of like, Oh, we got yes. a new toilet. <laughs> we got new. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think maybe some might, the only pushback I could imagine is the church isn't about the building. It's not about how nice this stuff is. I, we just went through a marriage conference Friday and Saturday in the new multi-purpose room. It was great. Clean walls, felt clean. There's a stage. You look up in the ceiling, nothing is falling on your head. <laughs> like it was phenomenal. Yeah. You feel completely different. Now, I can imagine there are people that say all the money should be going outside of the church. We yeah. should be feeding the poor. We should be, you know, we're not these eclectic old Catholic churches or buildings in Europe that just spent all the money. Like there could be an argument there. Uh, can you just maybe speak to that? I think scarcity mindset says if we fix the multi-purpose room, we can't feed the poor. And I think we can do both. Mm -hmm. uh, I think abundance mindset without getting into weird prosperity gospel stuff, it says uh, we should steward our building. What, what's the use of a wall? Why couldn't they say, hey, just leave the wall. It's fine. Uh, it, it was it was metaphorical. When the wall looks like that, God's not getting glory. When when I'm not saying we should have the most expensive stuff, but we should at least be functional. I think it's also an investment too. Like yeah, mm -hmm. repurposing everything, putting the showers in the bathroom lets us yeah. house mission people. Teams. Yeah, mission teams who want to help serve our community with us, and and I think like long term, it's such a good investment to have, and it will pay itself off. We've hosted multiple mission teams, and we had one shower on campus, and it belonged to the preschool. 
and that was difficult to navigate. They were literally sleeping in sleeping bags in the auditorium. In the sanctuary. Yeah, <laughs> all, all week. Yeah. When we redid the stage, we were like up there painting and pulling rope, and they're like trying to go to sleep. <laughs> right? They're so worn out from working all week. So yeah, I totally, I'm all on board. I, I just wanted to address maybe the other side. I was like, why, we, why am I giving to a church? And they're just putting up a new room, like help people get behind the vision, which I think you did. Yeah, it's. I could see the critique. Um, I just think that logic could be said. Like, why do you have a house? Why is your like? You could. It's 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 the Schindler's. That question took me by so much surprise. Well, you know what I'm saying. Like, why do you do anything to your house? Why would you remodel your kitchen? What it's like? Mm-hmm. Well, I live there, and so mm-hmm. uh, you know the Schindler's list where the guy at the end's looking at his watch, being like, well, "I could have given this watch this one more." Thing. That's the scarcity mindset. Uh, and and we'll talk next week about what urgency looks like. And how we could start to live more urgently, but I don't, I don't think we have to uh, like pose things one against the other. Yeah. Sweet. Let's uh, let's keep going. Uh, a phrase you hear in churches all the time and in Bible studies is "Give God the glory." This is for God's glory. It's not me. You know, I won the little league championship. This is for God's glory, or I won the Oscar. This is for God's glory. What does giving God an infinite being who is has everything, doesn't need anything, is completely full. The Trinity is taking care of the Trinity. What what does it mean to give God glory? And why is that a goal for us? That's a good question. What do you think, Nicole? I'm just stuck on him saying like winning a little league tournament. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime. Yeah, no little fourth grader has ever given God glory. He's like, I want to go get ice cream now. But I think in my head, it's just like, where does the like selfishness to want to win become like humbled enough to, I don't know. Like it's like people want to win. Like I want to win. And like, if I'm going to lose and I'm not going to play, but also like when I win and I'm like saying it's for God's glory, like I also had the intention to win for myself. Yeah. So I guess like where, where do you find the genuine heart posture? Yeah. A, a, a great example. We we want to build rebuild a multi-purpose ch- uh, room in the gym so that we can train people and have a place for the youth to gather. But at the same time, we all say, "Hey, come on, come and look at this." We feel proud proud mm-hmm. of yeah. the room. How do we um, authentically just do it for God and not for ourselves? Well, I have so many thoughts. First uh, Corinthians ten thirty one says, "Whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God." So, the idea is everything can give God glory or not give God glory. Uh, I often think of stuff in the opposite. So, in Second Corinthians six, verse one, I think it's like, uh, "Do not take the Lord's name in vain," which is also one of the Ten Commandments. And I think when you when you hear that. Growing up, you would hear like, if you hit your thumb with a hammer, don't say, God, dang it. You know, or you're taking the Lord's name in vain. Or And, and if you're a real Christian, you aren't even allowed to say, gosh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. Like, oh, oh, gosh. I know what you meant. That's right? taking the Lord's name in vain, mm-hmm. right? Uh, well, vain and glory are opposites in the sense that to give something glory means to give it weight. Glory means heaviness, like in, in the Old Testament, that God's glory meant his, his weight, his heaviness, his presence. And to take it in vain means to strip the, the weightiness of God out and make it light. And so don't make light of the Lord in, in, in the sense of like, don't take the heaviness out of what God is doing. And so it's not just 
trivially saying "God dang it" or "Gosh dang it" or whatever. It's I already Josh said it on the podcast. I just send you guys. Um, it's far bigger than that. It's saying you can take the Lord's name in vain in the way you play sports, in the way you work at a coffee shop, in the way you do anything. And so, I guess when you talk about what was the original question? Why and how do we do something for God's glory when it's God? Like, does He need our glory, or does He need more glory, or us to give it to Him? I think when you give. Glory is going to somebody, and when you don't give it to God, it becomes unhealthy and self-seeking and sinful and broken. So you're putting it in the only place that it's worthy of. Mm-hmm. And so, but like, how do you give it to Him? You get it off yourself. Like, oh, all the glory to God. All the glory, like on TV, they're like, "Oh, this is all thanks to God. This is all thanks to my mom." They're trying to verbalize what their heart is trying to actually do. Mm-hmm. Of like, God, don't let this be about me. Um. I think there's cheap ways to do that. Like if someone comes to you and you're like, Hey, I love hearing you on the podcast. You're like, Oh, stop right there. Don't be giving me any glory, mm-hmm. you know, glory to God. <laughs> and you know, people will say, Hey, nice, nice teaching. Nope. Not. Nope. Stop. It's like, that's rude. Say, thank you. I appreciate it. Be kind. <laughs> we love the multi-purpose room. We're really glad you like it. We hope you like it. Um, but underneath all that, we, our main motivation is that King Jesus runs the church. And we don't want him to run a broken down church. So I think it's also interesting how you're right. The church is not a building, but it, even in the Old Testament, like God has a value for places. There are sacred places. Mm-hmm. When you look at the design of the temple, when you look at uh, even the rebuilding of the wall, like there, there's a case to be made that, that God is okay with the sacred place. Um well, because he embodied himself in a place, in the tabernacle or whatever. And we are called the new building. We're called the new nation, the new people, like the God's dwelling places among us. Uh, but that doesn't mean like all places don't matter. Uh, you guys walked into some of the sacred places and big churches. There's, mm-hmm. there's I got told to there. take my hat off in a church in New York. I felt terrible. I was, I'm like, I'm a Christian. I'm sorry. I felt so like... <laughs> I should have known. I, I ruined Phony. it. I'm on your team. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. You ever been to the Alamo in Texas? Oh, I've been I to. Can't no, I haven't been in Texas, but I've been to the um, in Italy, the Vatican. Oh. And I never heard of it. I was just joking. Look, and I didn't know you're not allowed to wear shorts and a tank top, and it was summer in Italy, and so I walked in and they're like they're like yelling at me like put on this like scarf and they hand me like these like Nicole papers. and I have both been rep- reprimanded. Yeah. And I'm just like, I'm churches. sorry, my knees are out. And so I had to like walk around with this like paper, like wrapped around my waist and like around my shoulders. Was it l- really paper? Like what kind yeah, of Yeah. It was paper? like, like, you know, like the fabric paper where you can like rip it easily. It's like this super is so great. Yeah. And I was just like, I'm not going to wear this, but then I, I had to, obviously if I wanted to go inside. The Vatican, the Alamo, it's all the same. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> pretty much for Josh, Texas. I don't even know here. what the Alamo is. It's a place it. in Texas that like stood as a, a battleground location. Oh. Remember the Alamo? It, was it doesn't matter. Pee Wee Herman movie. Davy Crockett. I, I digress. Anyway, uh, I literally can't even remember what we're talking about. Oh, church is a place. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so we're, we are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit now. Yeah. So not only should we take care of this building, but we need to take care of our bodies too. And taking care Cover of the your earth. knees, ladies. I know when you say take care of the earth, like everyone panics. 
depending on your political thing. And I just go again, guys, if your mind wanders to politics, you have been hijacked. You've been hijacked to believe something first that never should have been first. Uh, should we take care of this world? Yeah. God designed this world. God, this is another thing you learned growing up theologically was like, God's going to burn, you know, and like, it's like, no, he's going to renew. This is going to be a renewed world. And so to join in the renewal um, is a good thing. Like sand to glass. Yeah. It's a good thing. Uh, okay, cool. Thank you. Let's move right along. Uh, one of the other slides that you put up just it talked about God, or maybe it wasn't a slide, but you talked about God being faithful. He's always faithful. There was a poignant moment in at least the 9 a.m. where you talked straight to everybody and said, you may not believe this, but God has always been faithful to you, no matter what. No matter what has happened in your life, he's been faithful. Um, can you flesh that out a little bit more, that maybe God being faithful doesn't necessarily mean we get everything we want? Yeah, I can feel the tension of saying that. So he told the church, God has only ever been faithful to you. And it takes faith to believe that. Because <laughs> you look at your life and you're like, I could tell you lots of seasons when he wasn't faithful to me. And I say, no, you can't. Mm -hmm. um, why, why can I say that confidently? Because it's his character. He's, good. He's only ever been good to you. He's only ever been gracious to you. Um, we're breathing right now because God's been faithful and good to us. And and any time it wasn't like that is because of the world, the flesh, the devil, something else, or my own sin. Um, so it's it does take faith to even believe that. Uh, but I was thinking about the old hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Uh, that That's the song of the redeemed. That's the song of all of us. We all have the same song. And I, I could feel the tension in the room of like, I don't know about that, Pastor. <laughs> like, we're talking about his character. It's tricky because like, I'll just say, I'm sure everybody has their own story, but my mom died at 70 from pancreatic cancer. My oldest son has severe ADHD. My youngest son has type 1 diabetes. And I wouldn't at first glance say, thank you, God. Thanks for being th faithful to me. Yeah. Are you saying that is because of my flesh and self-serving mentality that we all have as humans, that we wouldn't say God is faithful, even when things that we would deem are awful happen to us? This is like the, the meta-apologetic question. It's like, if there's a good God in the world, why does evil exist? Why do pancreatic cancer? Like, and so then often you have to do the dance of like, if you believe that there was no God, do you think suffering would still exist? And they're like, yeah. It's like, doesn't that sound worse that it, it's actually better that there's a God who wants to join you in that suffering. So I guess my appeal would be uh, to anyone grieving loss or anyone dealing with sadness or suffering is that you don't have a God that is distant. His faithfulness looks like walking with you in the brokenness of the world being renewed. That's what faithfulness looks like. Um, he, whether he caused, he's sovereign over all things. So I'm not going to downplay his, his, uh, you know, overarching leadership in the world. But I know he's with us, not against us, and that that's where the faithfulness comes in to me. Mm -hmm. I think like I obviously can't relate. I don't have kids. <laughs> My mom is still here, but um, I think. Also, just looking at it and things like that I've gone through and experienced, I'm thankful 
I went through that and had God by my side because now I can relate to other people who went through similar things. And um, like with your son with the ADHD, now you have this entire network of maybe other parents that you're relating to and not necessarily grieving with, but just kind of going through everything oh, that's with. Great. And well, <laughs> for sure that, is, but yeah. like you now have this like entire ministry of people that you get to pour into and just kind of share how you're dealing with it and using the Lord's name to give him glory and say like, yeah, like this is going on, but like, thank God I like have a son. Totally. And to be completely honest, up until the point my mom got diagnosed, I would have been the one that said nothing wrong has ever happened to me. Mm-hmm. I am white American male in the United States. Like it doesn't get much better than that. I didn't have any loss. My parents stayed together. All the typical things that could have went wrong didn't. And then it all kind of happens at once. And so it's important for me to say like the fact that there's no air conditioning in this room right now <laughs> is, sucks. is God actually faithful? Like, why do I have to sweat in this place? Like it doesn't have to be cancer and death and diagnosis. It can be, you lost your job or whatever the smallest parts it's just a are, are we saying that it's a product of the fall and that if something bad happens it's not god's fault and then and then you could say the skeptic would say well that's easy just make the definition god's only good and it's pretty it's like cheating yeah but i think it is it is obviously a product of the fall they talk about in genesis how all everything was good and nothing was evil and this like our world was a sinless world and it was god intended it to be like that no pain no pain no gain no i'm kidding but (laughs) no pain to be experienced no hurt and anything like that and then everything went down and now we are kind of experiencing the consequence of that. Josh is in his pondering pose. So you just don't, hear. you don't see it till the other side. I, I think there, there's probably times where you looked at your life and thought, God is not here. And then if, if you had eyes to see five years later, you look back and you're like, that may have been the nearness, the nearest I ever was to God. Hmm. Like that's the problem with our finite minds and our finite problems and so I, I just say, like, allow God's story to unfold in front of you, and he will prove himself to be faithful. It's, it's his character. If he's for you, nothing can be against you. Mm-hmm. Uh, even death is good news to the believer. And that's it's quite the remarkable thing. Yeah. Um, okay, so how this ties into Nehemiah, Nehemiah was rebuilding Jerusalem for the glory of God, right? So... This is how it all connects. Um, the next part, once he gets re- to rebuilding, it's almost done. The guys ask him to come down, and you bring up this idea of sabotage. You've got to survive the sabotage. How do we, once we uh, get angry, we stop and pray, we um, think before we act, we go and do it. How do we discern sabotage um, from just wise counsel of somebody like hey, maybe going to be a missionary in the Philippines isn't right for you, right? Is that sabotage or is that somebody who just cares for you that is trying to give you some advice? Ooh, that's a tough one. Uh, This phrase comes from a book called Canoeing the Mountains, which is a a leadership book on change, like how you change churches and things. The names Uh, of these books. Canoeing the Mountains. It (laughs) takes the Lewis and Clark expedition story. Oh, I thought Pocahontas. Uh, 
like in my in my mind, I was thinking Pocahontas. <laughs> that's that's not. I don't think that's Lewis and Clark. That's John, right? Whatever his name, John Smith. Uh, Lewis and Clark make their way to the Pacific Northwest and ride the Columbia River, and, mm-hmm. and so they take this journey and overlay it onto how to uh, lead in uncharted territories. That's that's the idea. And in the book, he talks often about how people don't fear change; they fear loss. So whatever you're trying to change, it's going to feel like loss to people. And so I'll, I'll be practical here. We, we took the connect group model and changed it to house church. It may sound a little strong, but there was some sabotage moments where the, there were people calling wise counsel. How could you possibly change this thing to that thing? This is beloved. This works. And, and I'm not saying we survived them like they're bad people. I'm just saying anytime you have to execute a vision, there's going to be dissenting voices and that change is going to create trouble no matter what it is. You start working out and your spouse is like, hey, what are you doing, man? Like your own lovely spouse could not encourage you. I've heard those stories or by God's grace, you both get in better shape. So anytime you want to change anything, that's possible. I think when it comes to wise counsel, you have to ask the question of like, uh, have they heard from the Lord on your behalf? Are they are they seeking God's glory in your life? Are they trying to be helpful or do they just not like change? And you're your friends and they don't want you to leave. And the initial steps that the person has taken, really, that's the litmus test. Like, did you pray for it? Have yeah. you talked to God about it? Did he give you a word? Because uh, if you're just going in like, oh, I'm going to go do this ministry and you don't think about it and you're flying off the handle, maybe uh, listen it to does some wise counsel. Why. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking about the curiosity piece. Um, if you've done the work to be curious about what's going on, often you have the conviction when sabotage comes. You're like, hey, I've actually thought about this. I've, and and if, if you have wise counsel coming to you, you, that should be in the investigation stage, not in the vision execution stage. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Can we uh, recap the, do you know your, your slides? Uh, yes. So step one was look up and look back, which was just about prayer, fasting, asking God to be faithful in the future when you don't know what that future is. Um, step two was investigate before you initiate. So like get curious about why the wall was broken down for 52 years. Get curious about why this thing is in ruins. Step three was make God's glory your ultimate aim. So making sure that the end game of your vision is the glory of God, because if that's not the end game, then it's too small. And then step four would survive the sabotage. So in the investigation stage, I would say that's when you ask your friends to have dinner with you and say, hey, this is what I'm thinking. Am I crazy? And they say, yeah, you're crazy. And you go, okay, good. I was just thinking that. That's what I wanted to be is crazy. So thanks <laughs> thanks for affirming yeah, that. I was hoping to be crazy. Appreciate that. Or your friend's like, actually, that's not crazy. We were thinking the you're same like, thing. Dang, I don't want to do it then. I'm not crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Are you that person when your friends tell well, you no when you, you said, yes? Yeah, that's me. When my parents told me, and I'm like, uh, I actually already did it. No. <laughs> but when you were saying like, oh, you know, that guy with the new vision every day, I was like, that's definitely me. Like every day it's just like, a new obsession. I'm just like, today I'm going to be an archaeologist. And then I'll read all about like what kind of school I need to go. And then the next morning I'll be like, today I'm going to okay, be a why? veteran. Investigate that. A veterinarian. Where's, why are you doing that? Where's that coming from? I, I just like want to do everything. Like everything interests me. And I just like, I'm scared to just pick one. You could be a French veterinarian instead of just mm-hmm. a French teacher. Mm-hmm. Only work on French speaking dogs. Exactly. I know. Is it hard for you to commit to a decision? Well, yes, but only because like I've already like 
looked at this part of myself, but I just like, I'm just like, scared to just pick one and then live my life and then just be like, oh, I wish I did this instead. It's the Enneagram one in you. It's the perfectionist. Like I just, yeah, I guess. Perfectionist leads to this inability to, to, to feel like what I'm doing, I'm settled in because mm-hmm. there could be something else. It could mm-hmm. be something better. And like, like everything what, just sounds interesting. What if me? I'm missing out? Mm-hmm. So the reason I wrote the question of the sabotage versus wise counsel is um, maybe there could be people when they experience the sabotage, they use that as confirmation. Like, oh, I must be doing the right thing. Ah, uh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like we often hear like you will. It's like cult leaders. Yeah. You like as a Jesus follower, you will experience some sort of descent or some sort of right. uh, uh, roadblocks. And a lot of people are just being a-holes and like, hey, nobody likes me. I must be doing something right for the kingdom. Um, how do we <laughs> how do we not do that? Yeah, that's the battleship type of sh- church that that treats the mission field like the enemy instead of the enemy like the enemy. And so I, I get weary of that, of every day it's what culture did wrong today, what culture is doing again, and how it's really hurting us who aren't like culture. And I just, I, I feel funny about all that stuff. It's I think if you me. can't align what the saboteur is saying I, I with scripture, saboteur, saboteur, saboteur. <laughs> I like saboteur. Go ahead. But if you can't align what they're saying with scripture, then it's obviously sabotage. It's hard. I think um, if, if someone tells you something you're not doing, like if someone tells you, hey, I think you drink too much, <laughs> um, <laughs> that was hard for them to say. That was hard for them. And so when someone does challenge you in any way, I, I say like maybe step one is consider mm-hmm. and welcome and see. And honestly, if someone says you're drinking too much, uh, this is a, an Andy Stanley joke. He's like, how do you know? You're drinking too much. Someone says it. That's it. <laughs> like, that's you're done. Uh, what do you mean? Like it? It was hard for them to say it. <laughs> that's a hard thing to say. And so you, you see, anytime someone's bringing a challenge to your life, it's worth listening to. If you double down, like step one and get defensive, I, I think you're not investigating like you could be. Mm-hmm. So Nehemiah famously says, "I can't come down. I'm doing a great work." Um, this was interesting to me because Rachel and I, my wife, we just did the marriage uh, weekend. And one of the things that we were talking about is if our great work, our one calling as Christians is to make disciples, how does working on your marriage fit into that? And the way that I described it is at the top, we make disciples and everything underneath that is subservient to that goal. Like I am a good father because that is going to attract people to Christ. I'm a good husband because that's going to attract people to Christ. Um, But what I definitely wasn't saying is I'm going to ignore my marriage and ignore my kids because I'm going to make disciples, right? It's, it's getting the hierarchy of the great work in the correct order. So is there a seasonality or a hierarchy to your great work? Like this year I'm really going to work on my marriage and then I'm going to, you know, start serving at the church or then I'm going to be a good father or do we have to do it all at once? What is, what is our ultimate great work? Oh man. 
Sometimes the squeaky wheel gets the oil. In other words, like what's broken, you go fix. Mm -hmm. So this relationship's bad. Other times it's like, hey, you need ongoing maintenance to everything that's important to you. You need to have ongoing maintenance. Uh, I'd say when it comes to marriage, this is interesting. The Apostle Paul talks about washing your wife in the water of the word because you're going to present her blameless to Jesus. That's discipleship. It sounds like, and I would say, and that's not just one-sided. I think in marriage, what you actually have is mutual discipleship. No one has made me more like Jesus than Amy. No one. Except the Holy Spirit himself. <laughs> Who happens to be working through Amy as well. Yeah, so they have tag-teamed me. Uh, so <laughs> I, I think the design the is... The piece of work that Josh is talking about. WWF? Yeah. Okay, that's all I can think of is the Holy Spirit on the outside of the ring. Like, let me in <laughs> let there. Me. I got him. I got him. <laughs> Who's your favorite tag-team ne duo? Nichols. Oh, uh, Harvey. Oh. The Hardy Brothers? Yeah, the Harvey Brothers, for sure. <laughs> do you, do you I don't watch even know what that or? is. No. I didn't. Okay, let's just say a couple of names. You, Ric Flair. Ever heard of him? Hulk Hogan. Who? Hulk Hogan. No. You've heard of Hulk Sting. Hogan. Stone yeah. Cold Steve. I know Sting. Stone Cold, Stone Cold Steve Austin. I only know that because a video on One TikTok. Beer, two beers. <laughs> three You're beers. Too young. You that's know, the, like that's the second. You know, like John Cena. Yeah. Yeah, younger. Yeah. The Rock. But like, the yeah. Rock. The Rock was a wrestler. That's because he was in Game Plan. He was or he was a football player at the University of Miami. Then he was a wrestler. His then dad was, was a famous wrestler. Wrestling in our generation was everything. It was Monday Night Raw. Well, that's because you guys are boys. Yeah, but girl. it's just like Thursday a, Night Smackdown. An era. Uh, that that's was. a blue hobby. I'm a pink. What's well, that? Can you? I've never heard that ever. What's blue that is mean? boys. Oh, okay. <laughs> so in tag team, your partner's on the outside, and if you're getting beat up, your your yeah. teammates just like, I've seen Come on, Nacho Libre. Okay, there you go, mm -hmm. Nacho Libre. Exactly, exactly. Like <laughs> so you're mutually discipling one to another, presenting them to Christ. This this is I know this is like a weird transition here, but that idea, um, I would say that's the foremost. I've been trying to teach my kids that I love Amy more than them, and they're shook. Oh, I remember learning that from my dad. You know, you're like, yeah, that's not true. My dad would be like, I would save your mom in a fire, not you guys. And I'd be like. <laughs> <laughs> he went hard. And I was it's like, clear. I was like, why? And he said, because I love your mom more. And then every day I would ask him, I was like, dad, do you love me more yet? And he's like, no. <laughs> well, the idea is that you're going to, you're actually right there. Like, I mean, at some point all the kids go and mm -hmm. you're back with mom. And so in God's good design, Parents that love Jesus first and then love each other and disciple each other, serve each other, they're going to create the environment where kids can be discipled and flourish. Mm -hmm. I think often you either like serve the church at the detriment of your family or serve your family at the detriment of the church. And again, those are false dichotomies. I think the way you serve your family is by serving the church and the way you serve your church is by serving your family. They, they can actually mutually edify one another. So in terms of like, is there a hierarchy? I do think your marriage has to be right. Because if you and Rachel aren't doing well, your parenting's a little off. Your job's going to feel a little off. Your prayer life's like, it is the most intrusive thing in the world if your marriage isn't right. But if you have a thing with your kid and you're like, oh, we're struggling, but you and Rachel are killing it, you're like, we'll figure it out with the kid. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, true. It's so it's so uh, pervasive. And and so I, I think Jesus gives us that picture so that that always has to come first and you've heard pastors say like, Jesus' bride is the church. And so don't 
don't cheat on your bride with his bride. He he's going to take care of the church, but also don't neglect his bride because of your other service. So there's, I, I think there's tension that you have to live in. Um, and if you have people in your life that can course correct you, that's the key. Can you be course corrected? Um, that's good. Um, okay, let's end this plane. No, I said that last week. Darn it. Let's land this plane with a bang. Why don't you just get a new line? Oh my gosh. I, I, I'm limited. <laughs> I only got a couple lines. Um, so we talk about the church being in ruins. We're going to rebuild it. But the church isn't just a building. It's people within the building who are doing the life of the church. What would happen if we rebuild the church, but the members' lives are still in ruins? I don't think that's possible. What? I hope you're right. <laughs> I feel like when people come together for this bigger vision, they naturally just better themselves. Like naturally want to like fix them, like not fix themselves, but like also get better with it. I would hope you're right, but I can totally see a scenario where people will say, oh, phew, the church is going to be fixed. I don't have to do anything. The church is going to do it all. But I feel like when people are like all have this sense of urgency to like fix one thing, then they have like an urgency to encourage each other in the process of fixing the one thing. And that encouragement, I think, builds better morale and builds a sense of like community where they feel safe with each other. And then they like become friends. <laughs> I I think, I mean, that's a better story. If you've seen Sister Act or Sister Act 2. No. you Well, first off, you're talking about some of the greatest movies ever made, Sister Act. Sister Act 2 may be if the If there's a one the and two, then it's not a good movie. Oh, the, the, the <laughs> no, sequel. trying to make money. Go ahead. The second one may be better than the first, which is really rare in the movie world. Godfather um, and Sister Act. Those are the only two. Yeah, that's true. Godfather. The, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sister Act 2 is incre it's incredible. Um, I thought Sister Act was a comedy. So, I digress. digress. It's got Lauren Hill. You know who that is? No. Okay. Wow. Whoopi. Whoopi Goldberg. <sighs> Anyways, they... They're this little group that's like a bunch of nuns and they, they have a school, but then they, the choir gets going and there's this vision of like the choir competing. And then all of a sudden the doors are open to the church and the community's coming in. They're doing car washes to raise money because the kids can't get to, to this competition. Like there seems to be, the, the phrase is like a high tide raises all boats. Mm -hmm. Like, so when vision shows up, you would like to see everybody got on board. It was awesome. And of course there's naysayers. They have to survive their own sabotage. Uh, but I think about the Pharisees who were doing all the stuff, but their hearts weren't there. But they didn't have a vision. Yeah. Their vision was the law. And in their minds, I mean, they killed Jesus in some ways because they thought they were doing right. The apostle Paul thought he was doing right. He thought, but he was wrong. Mm -hmm. He was really, really wrong. And, and I think it is possible to do all the work, but have your heart be distant. And that's what I don't want. I, I want us to be people that have experienced the power of Jesus personally. And we want that in our neighborhood. We want that in our church because we've experienced it in our house. We've experienced it in our heart. And so that's what this, this morning's sermon was all about is like, before we talk big vision for us, we got to get you and I set free from some stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so that when we become sailors on the aircraft carrier, we look around and we know like, you, you know how to fight. Like I can trust you and that it's the metaphor starts to break down, but that was the hope of like vision boot camp for today. What, what would happen if we do all these projects that we're going to lay out and initiatives? Um, but the people of the church just continue to 
have their life be in ruins and aren't on board, will it fail? I think it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be giving God glory. It would be man's empty pursuit to have a better building um, versus the kind of people that inhabit this kind of place is what God can use for his goodness in the city. Uh, I think it'd be a bummer. You, you just get exhausted. At some point you'd be like, this doesn't work anymore. And have you ever tried to do something that your heart just wasn't in? Yeah. Doesn't it just feel so hard? And I'm not talking about discipline. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, be dis- that's different. I'm talking about like, my heart is not in this. The dishes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, the dishes suck. Oh, it's awful. Every day. We mm. don't have a dishwasher. I watch dishes every day. Yeah, I watch dishes every day. I watch TV shows. That's when I watch TV shows. I don't like dishwashers. I, I put on headphones and I put my phone up on the windowsill and I watch TV. Are you serious? That's He's how a screenager. I watched West Wing, He's all an of iPad the West Wing. Kid. <laughs> Doing that. Yeah. Really like a little grubby, little drippy nose. <laughs> the boogers. <laughs> it's like the one time I watch shows is during dishwashing. Hey, we need Nicole to rip on you at least once. <laughs> like, let it happen. It's good. Like, during dishes, I just kind of like zone out. And well, just maybe, like, maybe watch a show. Maybe you like it. Listen to an audiobook. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Nicole, before we go, did the metaphor of the ships, the three ships and three churches, did it make sense to you? Did it land? Did you understand? And when you heard them, were you like, oh, actually, the the luxury liner sounds a lot better? It made sense to me, but then also I'm like, an aircraft carrier still warship. Warship <laughs> like or it, worship? Like war. Like W-A-R or W-O-R? Like war. Yeah. 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 So I'm like, yeah. okay. Like, that's what I was thinking. I was like, uh, yeah, like cruise ship. I get it. I get it. And then they're like. War, like the actual battleship, I get that too. But then an aircraft carrier still goes to war. It's still sitting out there. Like battleship, that board game has aircraft carriers in it that you have to hit. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, they're still out there. Josh, take it away. You got the answer. Like I understand. I completely understand where you're going with everything. Like I was there. But at the same time, I was like, come on, there's other boats. The the meta question is how do you fight spiritual war as a church? In like those little seal blue boats. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? I think that's huddle. I think that's disciple making. Do you know the seal boats? Yeah, absolutely. The ones that drive on land and then they go into the water? I am infatuated with the whole Navy SEAL construct. Like all the leadership books that come out of that world, I I think are fascinating. No, not Navy SEALs. I've been to Myrtle Beach before. Yeah. I'm thinking about the the black inflated Army Ranger. They call them on the East Coast, they call them like duck boats. Yeah. Uh, And they drive around the uh city and then they go into the water. They're like, they do. Those are the worst kind of boats ever. I know. They like, when they sink, a lot of people die. That's what Nicole's vision of church is. Oh my God. The duck boats? (laughs) Yeah. Like versatile. Okay. That is versatile. Like land and water. Those things ain't taking one bullet. No place in the world is unreachable. Unreachable. Okay. So talk about the the war metaphors all throughout scripture. Is that what you're going to say? Yeah. Well, spiritual war has to be fought. We we are in a spiritual war. Uh, uh, Ephesians mm-hmm. 5, put on the armor of God. Whoa, for what? Well, there's all these battles happening. Mm-hmm. Participate in the ongoing mission of God. The, um, the when devil, you talked about sending people out and then having them come back, I was like, okay, I get it. We're, no, I think we're in battle. And this is, this is actually, we'll talk about this next week, but like, if you don't think we're in battle, then all of your decisions will be about your own comfort. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know we just talked about this today, but like the the horrific, there are wars right now, Ukraine, Russia, what's happening in Israel. uh, And you feel 
something, when you start talking about war, when you read about it, you feel an urgency. When you pray, you almost like get teary eyed or something because you're like, oh, this is awful. Mm -hmm. This is not the way it's supposed to be. Like the shalom of God is supposed to reign in that region and it's not reigning in that region. And so then you go, oh, Jesus talks about my spiritual life like that. Yet I don't think like that because I'm a Western American safe person. Mm -hmm. And so all we're talking about is like, let's, let's be in line with the reality Jesus says we're living in and let's design our church in a way that best fights the battle that we're already in, whether we like it or not. Mm -hmm. um, it's really only in prosperous places where you can design churches for comfort. It's, I think to close the metaphor, to make it easier, the, the difference between the battleship and the, uh, the, um, what's the aircraft thing called? Carrier. Aircraft yeah. carrier is that the battleship is battling the world where the aircraft carrier is battling the enemy. Yeah, We're not sending good. planes out to make sure that our schools are teaching the right thing or that our neighborhood <laughs> really good. person doesn't have, I don't know, a flag. Some, some inappropriate decoration, Halloween decoration, or the flag <laughs> is, right? Like we're going out to fight the enemy and in fighting the enemy, we will love the world where the battleship seems to hate the world if they're not, if the world doesn't prescribe to their brand of Christianity. Oh, this is so good. We, I know we're out of time, but the more we talk about this, the more it's going to make sense. Jesus tells us to hate the world, but it's not what we mean by the world. And I think that's some of the subtleties that we've got to work out is, is what Jesus is referencing isn't people. Mm -mm. It's, it's the world's structures and strategies that are leading us to be tempted to walk out of the kingdom. And so <clears throat> I'm excited to cover this in weeks come. Weeks yeah. to come. We can keep going. You got anything else you want to share now? Uh, you seem pretty pumped up and then you just quit. <laughs> We're under an hour. Let's try to get it under an hour. The, <laughs> the metaphor is borrowed from, from others. And I, I just feel like the beauty of the aircraft carrier is that it, it extends the mission and it puts responsibility for others to carry on the mission. So these, the house church idea would be the airplanes that you would go and participate in the mission wherever you are, and then you would come back to us. We would be a gathered, scattered church. House churches should be like submarines. <laughs> they can be whatever. They can be duck boats if you want. <laughs> I hear what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a... They're just there under the radar. Ha <laughs> There's You can't let your house church be like a speakeasy where you have to know three people and a secret handshake to get in, but you also can't only have Christians at your house church. So there's a tension that we can talk about more. It's yeah. good. A uh, lot more to talk about. So we've got three more weeks of this. Yes. Which I'm very excited about. Hopefully you are too. And that concludes this week's podcast. If you guys have any questions, uh, email us at podcast at gracesd.com or get on Instagram, ask us questions there, and we will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.